0: this show is produced by the hartman media company for more information and links to all our great podcasts visit hartmanmedia.com welcome to the solomon success show where we explore the timeless wisdom of king solomon and the bible as it relates to business and investing. false prophets and get rich quick schemes are everywhere let's not be distracted by these instead Let's go to the source, the eternal principles that create a life of peace, power, and prosperity. Here's our host, Jason Hartman. Welcome to the show. This is Jason Hartman, your host. And every 10th episode, we do something kind of special, kind of different. What we do is we go off topic. So regardless of which show it is on the Hartman Media Network, whether it be one of the financial shows, economics, real estate investing, travel, longevity, all of the other topics that we have, every 10th episode, we go off topic and we explore something of general interest something of general life success value. And so many of our listeners around the world in 164 countries have absolutely loved our 10th episode shows. So that's what we're going to do today. And let's go ahead and get to our guest with a special 10th episode show. And of course, on the next episode, we'll be back to our regular programming. Here we go. It's my pleasure to welcome Floyd Abrams to the show. He is a leading legal authority on the First Amendment and U.S. constitutional law. He's got a tremendous background, and he's author of the new book, The Soul of the First Amendment. Floyd, welcome. How are you? I'm just fine. Good, Thank you for
1: having me on.
0: It's great to have you on the show to talk about this very important topic. One of the great things about our Constitution and uh, the United States in general is that we have the right to free speech. Of course, that can uh, interfere with other people's rights at times, (laughs) depending on what is said. There's a lot to it. It's a very complex subject, of course. Tell us a little bit about your background and some of the landmark cases you've litigated.
1: Well, I've worked on the uh, Pentagon Papers case for the New York Times uh, back in 1971 when the government went to court seeking an injunction against the Times, publishing what became known as the Pentagon Papers and a Defense Department study of how we got into the war in Vietnam, which was then raging uh, and uh, it was a very contested case, which we won I've represented the Brooklyn Museum in a case brought against Mayor Giuliani of New York City when he basically tried to shut it down uh, on the grounds that one of the uh, works of art was, in his view, uh, sacrilegious and, in any event, deeply uh, offensive. I represented Senator Mitch McConnell, in what became known as the Citizens United case. I was one of the two lawyers who argued on behalf of or on the side of Citizens United, basically arguing that as a First Amendment matter, corporations and individuals both should be permitted to uh, sort of spend their money as they chose on elections, urging people who to vote for, who to vote against taking positions on public issues and the like. So I would say that uh, while I've been kept busy through my uh, litigation career and my uh, writing of a, a few books, the most recent, as you've said, is called The Soul of the First Amendment, I've focused my attention and most of my work has been in the area of the first amendment
0: yeah fantastic it's it's certainly a fascinating topic so floyd tell us a little bit about some of the issues that come to bear in these first amendment cases whenever anybody says anything of course they want to claim well i have the right to say it you know the first amendment protects me i can say whatever i want but that's not always the case right i mean what are some of the nuances and of course We could talk about this for years, I'm sure, (laughs) Sure, sure. because this is a very deep deep topic, uh,
1: right? The first thing you have to know is that the First Amendment uh, only relates to the government. The First Amendment protects us against the government getting involved or too involved with respect to religion, freedom of speech, or freedom of the press. Nothing to do as a legal matter with what private people are allowed to say to each other, what employers are allowed to do to employees who say certain things, what neighbors can say. It is a protection against the government. And so it is limited uh, in that way. Now, sometimes the government is larger than one might think. For example, there've been a lot of issues recently on college campuses about who can speak and who not and what the law is and what it should be about a language which is offensive to some people or even uh, outrageous. And as to that, state schools are treated very differently than private ones, ones that are funded, basically full-time funded by a state or by the federal government are subject to the First Amendment. Private universities are
0: not. Right, right. See, that's very interesting because the argument, I guess, is that if that university receives government money, or I would even argue that if it doesn't directly receive government money, but people are using government insured student loans to pay for tuition, then it is, in essence, by proxy, receiving government money. But it's ultimately a proxy for the government, right? And so then. Well, but but, is that the argument?
1: Uh, well, no, the, the argument is the University of California is a part of the state of California. Right. Right. Not because anything to do with tuition mm-hmm. or government assistance or the like, but that it is sort of literally the creation of the state with the state in a position subject to other rules, of course, but by the state in a position to set its policies. It's established by a legislature, not private. It is funded wholly funded by uh, you could say the public, but the, the public in taxation and the like to the state. So the University of California would be is treated very differently in the law, at least as regards the First Amendment, than a private university, Stanford, say, uh, in California. Now, it is also true that a lot of colleges and universities that are private say and try to mean that they will apply First Amendment standards just as if they were governed by the First Amendment. But my only point was that the the sort of starting point for understanding the First Amendment is that it's a limitation on the government, on the Congress, on the president. On the states and the creation of the states, such as universities.
0: Are there any other examples you can share with us about what you brought up right away that sometimes the government is larger than it seems? The university example is a great one. Are there others we should, you know, that maybe we're not thinking of?
1: When a city owns a a bus line, when the government builds a highway, and it is a federal or a state highway. That gets a little complicated, but sometimes, you know, roads and the like are, are are private in one way or another. But when we're talking about state entities, that's what we mean. Sometimes uh, stores, not many, but there are some which are owned by the government.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The post office is the government. The uh, telephone company is not. Television is not. But because a television station or a radio station needs a federal license, it is subject to sort of different sorts of laws than a privately owned uh, newspaper.
0: Oh, very interesting. Yeah.
1: Not entirely different, but, but a greater level of regulation. A broadcast station is supposed to serve the public interest. And a license renewal might not be granted if somebody could show that the broadcaster Used it 24 hours a day, say for advertisements. That's all it is, ads all day and night. That's not why we grant a license. To mm. a broadcaster.
0: Yeah, how interesting. See, because that's, in the past, it was all really about the FCC, right? But now, what we're doing right now is we're podcasting, so, you know, I can cuss and swear and do all kinds of Absolutely. things that a, that a radio station can't do.
1: Exactly. Uh, <laughs> Your, uh, yours is, an, is treated uh-huh. as being uh, just the same as if you went into a park and gave a speech. Uh Or if you otherwise exercise, you know, your First Amendment rights to speak out, uh, write letters, urging people who to vote for, said things on the internet, you know, all those are.
0: but, But you can do that. I mean, a television station can have opinion, you know, for example, like the left loves to come down on Fox News. But I think one of the distinctions that they haven't been very successful at making is that some of their coverage is actual news and some is opinion. And opinion, you know, when you're looking at, well, formerly O'Reilly, that's an opinion show, right? It's He's not doing all news, you know, he's expressing opinions right, right. Uh, versus the news reporters are supposed to be, you know, theoretically objective, right?
1: Uh, right, but, but in more, re- uh, I mean, what you say is true. And what I'm saying is that, In more recent cases, the broadcast medium has been receiving legal protection close to, not quite the same as, but close to that of the print press or close to that of the internet. Not quite the same because they do need a license Mm -hmm. and because you are supposed to act consistently with the public interest. But because of the First Amendment and First Amendment interests, The government, the FCC, has got to be very careful about not uh, pushing its views onto Fox or or CNN or or whoever. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that was one of the objections to having what we used to have, which was called a fairness doctrine. Mm -hmm. Fairness doctrine was if a broadcaster took a position on some interest, such a matter of public interest, you ought to have the other side on and, you know, that sounds perfectly reasonable. The problem is the umpire is a government entity. Right. And when the umpire is a government entity, you start running into, you know, significant First Amendment issues because there is a, a tendency, sometimes no worse than that, but sometimes pretty clear right. for governments to push the politics, the policies and the like that they favor. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons that the law has moved in more recent years towards giving broadcasters broad First Amendment rights and cable operators complete ones. Mm-hmm. Remember, on cable, you don't need a license.
0: Right. Right, So the Fairness Doctrine is a really interesting thing because I think when the Fairness Doctrine... I mean, have we done away with that completely or is it still around to a yes. lesser extent? It's yes. totally gone. Uh, no, it's gone. All right. And I remember when I was a kid, you know, listening to AM radio, you would always hear this kind of point-counterpoint stuff on talk radio. And I guess when the Fairness Doctrine gave way, then you had sort of the rise of Rush Limbaugh. What's interesting about the Fairness Doctrine, it, that would seem impossible because... For example, you could have one side saying one thing and yeah. then you're supposed to say, but then you could intentionally put up a really weak argument on the other side. I mean, how can right. you possibly? I can tell you, yeah.
1: I, I used to do a lot of legal work for, for NBC and the sort of agony they went through. Mm-hmm. to take one example. When we were building, when the, when the private parties were, were building a pipeline in Alaska, was very, very controversial. And NBC had on a representative of the government in Alaska that was in favor of the pipeline. And then they got a lot of complaints saying, you just did one side. You just did one side. So they called up a person, well-known person, who was viewed as an opponent of the pipeline. And they asked him to come on the Today Show. And he went on. And they asked him, without any preliminary discussion with him, what do you think of the pipeline? They said, well, generally, I think it's a pretty good idea. And everyone at NBC was saying, oh, my God, now we have to get someone else, because now we've had two people on supporting the pipeline. Now, it never had to be even. You know, Mm -hmm. it never had to be you had someone on for 15 minutes, you got to have 15 minutes of the other side, but it had to be some recognition of the other side. And that's something which has been flatly rejected with respect to the print press and has always been rejected. I mean, the newspaper owner can put what he wants in his newspaper, period. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have to have the other side and it doesn't have to be fair. That's, you know, if you, if you don't like it, read something else, right. which is yeah. basically the rule of the road on the Internet sure, today.
0: sure. You know where this gets very scary, in my opinion, is when you come to Google and Facebook – And they seemingly, I may be wrong about this, but my impression is that neither of those organizations are fans of Donald Trump, a pretty controversial character, to say the least, right? And it was like instantly the day after the election, all I started hearing is about fake news and how Facebook and Google need to filter out fake news well who the heck can possibly really decide what fake news is as a person even if they were truly objective but definitely as a computer algorithm my god is that even possible people on either side of the aisle would say well cnn is all fake news or fox is all fake news you know, I mean, how do you, how, you know that just sounds like total censorship to me i'm really i, I mean if there is
1: a problem i mean facebook and google in, uh, in particular Want very much to have the entirety of the public like them. Yeah. I mean, they don't exist to take political positions or the like, but they do exist. But they certainly offer... could
0: if they wanted to. Well, right? uh, yes, they could. They have huge influence. Uh, uh, huge. Uh,
1: uh, Oh, I mean, more people get their news from Facebook than any place else in the world. I agree. Yeah. And that scares uh, uh, the heck out I'm, of me. I mean, that's I mean, a fact. You know, it, it, <laughs> that's it, it, and a and, and by the way,
0: let me just give you one more piece of ammunition for this discussion on this. I, I know this is not your area, but I mean, antitrust, any entity that controls 70% of the planet's search traffic, like Google... Or so much, uh, like Facebook, that it's gotta be broken up. It seems yeah. like. I mean, I don't know.
1: Well, I was on a panel yesterday in Washington. There the was sponsored by the Washington Post, and there was a representative of Google there. And uh, you know, we were we were talking about its its power, and uh, you know, we're they they spend a lot of time preparing their algorithms. I don't believe this is my personal opinion that either Facebook or Google want at all to be controversial about what they're putting forward or how their algorithms work. I mean, they have problems at the most basic level. I mean, they they try to prevent or to bar racist speech. Well, I mean, that puts them in an editorial role. Now, I happen to think that's a good thing Because I think there is some speech they shouldn't carry. Now, the First Amendment would protect that speech. The question is, what would we like? Suppose it were up to us to decide what we would like Facebook to carry, what we like Google to carry. Do we want them? Uh, how would they respond to the, the, the prime minister of England saying you really have to be more careful about carrying sort of incendiary language which could incite people to join ISIS and drop bombs all over London? So the prime minister has said, you know, I may introduce legislation. I, I want these entities to play a role of assuring that sort of pro terrorist or terrorist inducing language doesn't appear. And A, that's not easy. B the question is do we want them? I mean, what editorial role do we want them to play? Now after the election, with with at least one example of, you know, some crazy guy going into a pizza place because a fake news entity said Hillary Clinton was basically abusing children there. Some guy went in there with a gun and started shooting it up. There was a lot of public pressure on Facebook. Do something. Why do you carry stuff like that? And so they are I, – I don't really know where they're at in their thinking now, but I know they're spending a lot of time and effort trying to – cut through this. So that on the one hand, they're not really playing a major or even a serious editorial role. But on the other, they're not carrying stuff, which is both false and has some sort of reasonable likelihood of of causing very serious crime.
0: Yeah, it's it's a, these are complex issues. I mean, <laughs> you're, you have a very complex job. <laughs> Wouldn't yeah. you agree? Well, but it's interesting. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it sure is interesting. Hey, can you just talk briefly before you go, you framed this at the outset about the First Amendment being all about the government versus the people. And that's one of the just the incredibly wonderful things about the Constitution. It's sort of a, maybe only the second real significant document after the Magna Carta in, in history that, that gave the rights really to the people. You know, um, and and that was a novel idea at the time, uh, at least in in my eyes. How does it interplay, if at all, when it comes to business to business or person to person? I interviewed a, a, a renowned defamation attorney who's done a lot of, you know, work in Hollywood and so forth. And obviously, with all of us getting on social media, so many people having blogs and podcasts, and I'm sure that has clogged up the courts. I, I mean, I've certainly, as I mentioned to you, litigated these issues before you know, is, is there any interplay at all or, uh, you know, tell us about that just briefly? Well,
1: sure. Uh, I, I mean, now, now that we have a mechanism of communication, which is uh, genuinely open to the public, which is basically free, which allows just about anyone to say just about anything to a potentially enormous audience new sorts of issues arise Uh, sometimes people on facebook get sued for libel right sure but they're not like big newspapers Mm -hmm. you know they don't have insurance they don't have policies i mean an ordinary person who wants to spout off and denounce someone else doesn't know but should that yeah he could get sued for libel
0: People get sued for Yelp reviews. Uh, you know, that's. Well, they do.
1: They do. I mean, they're, it's very important that people be free, in my view, to put out Yelp reviews. But one of the problems is, you know, some of those are fake news.
0: Sure.
1: I mean, th- there are reviews that are submitted by competitors, yep. which make believe that they're really reviews of products yeah, from conservatives
0: yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: or the like. Sure. And that's another complexity.
0: And then some of the reviews are positive, submitted by the organization themselves.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, the lesson of that is don't depend too much on that. Right. I mean, don't go around saying, I read it on the internet. (laughs) It's the fact that you read it on the internet doesn't tell me anything about whether it's likely true or not.
0: Sure. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely complicated. Give out your uh, website or tell people where they can find the books or, or whatever resources you want. To share I, I don't with.
1: have a website, but you can buy it at Amazon or uh, other bookstores around the country.
0: And that's uh, Floyd Abrams. And the book is entitled The Soul of the First Amendment. Floyd, any comment on your interesting table of contents? You have one entry. <laughs> I love that. You know, the the First Amendment, 139 pages. <laughs> I just thought, found that to be kind of humorous. Oh. Uh, well, that's, uh, just, uh,
1: that's just trying to keep down the noise.
0: <laughs> and 139 pages on, on that subject is probably a short summary, right?
1: Oh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> There's no doubt of that. Yeah, yeah. Lot, lots of things that I do for a living, lots of things I testify about, right. which are uh, not in the book. But I talk in the book about, you know, most of all about how different we are mm-hmm. than every place else in the world, right. every, every place else in the democratic world,
0: mm-hmm.
1: in terms of how much protection that we have. Yeah. So.
0: Very, very fascinating, and I'm grateful that we have that protection. It's a wonderful thing. Floyd, thank you for your work, and thank you for coming on and uh, sharing some good your, to your talk background to you. with us today. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check out HartmanMedia.com for appropriate disclaimers and terms of service. Remember that guest opinions are their own, and if you require specific legal or tax advice, or advice in any other specialized area, please consult an appropriate professional. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode.